We talked about solitude. We talked about silence. And today, we're going to talk about praying always. That's the title of today's sermon. (coughs) Pardon me. So let's recap. Where are we at? We are in the inward journey. We are answering the questions. Who am I? What is my identity? And the inward journey also involves taking on the character of God and changing behaviors, beliefs, and other attributes that are not godly. Well, why are we talking about this book if that's the series we're in? Excellent question. I'll answer it on the next slide conveniently. It's almost like I knew it was coming. The Way of the Heart is a wonderful book, and it is instructive on how to take the inward journey. I think that the stuff this book has in it is just phenomenal if you want to dig into your heart with God. It is not saying everyone should be monks. The book is about monks, mostly, and that's because it's corrective. Henry Nouwen wrote it so that we could read and be reminded of these ancient disciplines from a bygone time and bring them into our busy, consumeristic, crazy, chaotic culture. So it's a course correction. It's not saying move to Egypt, go out to the desert, and you're not a real Christian unless you can be alone for the rest of your life. I gave it to a guy. I swear, I thought he was... He is really right, and if you ever listen to this, he'll know who he is, so I don't want to insult him. But he hated the book because he thought Henry Nouwen was saying, if you're a real Christian, you'll be a monk. Please don't get that from the book. Say that every week. It's important. Okay, review time. Solitude. We talked about this the first week. This is not a vacation or a therapeutic retreat. When Henry Nouwen, talking about the Desert Fathers, these old Egyptian monks who lived in the wilderness, when they talked about solitude, they were talking about the place of encounter and battle. They believed that only by encountering God could the false self be fought against and actually defeated. So they're going into solitude for a very proactive purpose. They want to root out everything inside them that is not godly, the false self that we always construct. They want to invite God into that and dismantle it on purpose. So this solitude is transformative by nature. And remember the picture that we had to represent this was the smithy at his forge. This is kind of how they viewed it. You're being pounded into shape. You're being heated up. You're being retooled. You're being made into something. It's not a vacation. Next we talked about silence. And this silence doesn't mean getting into a quiet spot and enjoying the the birds chirping and the lack of noise. This silence is not about your environment. This silence is about you. Speaking speaking less is usually a good idea. We talked about how countercultural that was and that the Desert Fathers thought there was actually value in abstaining from speaking. You guys remember that was the nice way we said shut up. (laughs) They, They thought there was value in abstaining from speaking often. But that's only one part of silence. The real silence they were after was an interior disposition. It was resting in the presence and the fullness and the love of God wherever you happen to be and whatever you happen to be doing. And so if they could get that, then they found they could take this transforming place of encounter they called solitude with them, even when they weren't alone, and they found they could be internally quiet even when they were talking. If you're thinking, that sounds kind of mystical, that drives me crazy, (laughs) The book may not be for you because, yeah, it kind of is. And if you're wired that way, you'll love it. If you're not, it may just give you a headache, but I dig it. (laughs) Silence makes solitude portable and effective. 
the image we had for that was my favorite thing in the world, probably a sauna. Remember we talked about how silence enables you to keep the inner fire hot instead of just venting out all of your good stuff through speech. So the sauna kind of represented resting in that fullness and that presence of God instead of leaving the door hanging open and then it's not so much a sauna, it's just kind of your basement heating unit. It's no good, not nearly as fun. So today we're talking about prayer. Not just prayer though, and and let me say, I am shocked at how much of my sermon has already been preached by the worship team. Crazy, because I don't give Daniel my notes, and he just prays and worships and says, oh, I think this is our set list. King of my heart pretty much is the crux of my message and this whole book, basically. So when he's saying that, I thought, oh, I'll mention that. That's kind of cool. And then Justin starts singing prophetically. Justin, I wrote down what you said. I wish I would have recorded it, but I didn't. You start singing, you are the Lord who answers prayer. Oh, that's nice. It's good. We're talking about prayer. So immediately I'm thinking, this is, maybe he's in tune, right? It's almost like there's one spirit inside all of us. You are the Lord who answers prayer. When we pray, you hear it. You're listening. That's going to come up later. And then this, you gave us your spirit. And when we pray, you hear it. Forgive me for giving up on you. Fantastic. Thank you. You know, it's anybody ever been singing a song in the shower on Sunday morning and you get to church and they do the song and you think, oh, that's so neat. And I really do believe there's something to that. We're in tune with the same spirit, guys, same spirit in all of us. But we're going to talk about prayer in the context of praying without ceasing. How do we do that? How do we make that happen if we're not actually going to move to Egypt and go to the desert like these guys? Is it possible for a layman with a real life and a real job to put this into practice? Of course the answer is yes, but we're going to talk about how. The first week, we gave this quote. Now in structures, the whole book around this quote, and on the last week, I'm going to read it again. This old guy named Arsenius, he was a Roman senator in the emperor's house. He had it made. He was a tutor to the emperor's kids. He wants to know how to be saved, so he prays to God, lead me in the way of salvation. And at first, God says, flee. So he retreats into the desert. He actually flees. And then he prays again. Arsenius prayed again, Lord, lead me in the way of salvation. And again, Arsenius heard a voice saying, Arsenius, flee, be silent, pray always. For these are the sources of sinlessness. It astounds me how many of these Ancient Christians were really good charismatics before the charismatic movement was actually a thing. So if anybody tells you this is a new thing, they're just misinformed. But Arsenius hears this voice, and we talked about solitude, we talked about silence, but now we're going to talk about praying always. How do you do that? First a quote, an extended quote from the book. To pray always, this is the real purpose of the desert life. The desert fathers, the old monk dudes, did not think of solitude as being alone, but as being alone with God. They did not think of silence as not speaking, but as listening to God. Solitude and silence are the context within which prayer is practiced. It's his writing style, 
but he makes you read through the whole book before he gives you a non-mystical, common-sense definition of what he's talking about. But here it is, near the end. Thank you, Henry. We appreciate that. Maybe not all of us, but some of us. Do we have to pray to be Christians? Do you have to pray? You ever ask that? Pray, you know, sometimes it's not the most fun. Can we just be real? Especially if you're a brand new Christian, they tell you to pray, and you say, why and how? Usually, unless God has dramatically moved on your spirit and it's natural, usually not natural to people, usually kind of awkward, and you wonder what the point is. But we need to pray, and here to remind us is John Wayne. Pray. That's an order, son. So we need to pray. I thought, who can give us this word? John, the Duke can do it. I should add Leonard. Listen to these verses on prayer. And, and they, they're not making prayer much of an option. You ready for this? Luke 18, 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray. When should they pray? Always. Always pray and not give up. And then he tells the parable of the persistent widow, by the way. If you've read this, it's an interesting parable because a widow has a legal claim and a dishonest, corrupt judge doesn't want to give it to her. But eventually, she nags the judge so much that even though he's corrupt, he says, I just can't handle this woman anymore. She's crazy. I'm going to give her what she wants. And God says, I'm not a corrupt judge, so how much more am I willing to listen? So pray always and don't give up. Next one, Philippians 4, 6, the end of it. In every situation, say, in every situation. Awesome. I feel like the room's kind of tired tonight. We might do more of this out loud repetition stuff. (laughs) In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So pray always. What should we pray about? Whatever our requests are. Do you have requests? Earlier in this verse, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray. You have stuff you want to ask God about? Are you anxious about stuff? Pray about it. But notice that's a command. 1 Timothy 2.1. Paul is writing to his right-hand man, his leader of leaders, and he says to Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Who should we pray for? All All people. So any anxieties, any requests, always for all people. Mark 14, 38. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Oh, we should also pray so that we're not tempted easily. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, that's Mark 14, 38. And here's the one we're building the message around. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all situations, in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray, that's in order, son. From John Wayne. He probably didn't actually say that, but I imagine it's something he would say, so that kind of counts. <laughs> Ish, I think. Amen. Moving on. Amen. Let's talk about two different types of prayer. Nowan breaks this down in his book. The first is the prayer of the mind, which sounds kind of good. We like that. We like to be smart. But Nowan does not mean this in a good way at all, because he means a prayer that comes only from your mind. And this is actually a danger, and it's a danger for everybody, not just super intelligent people. God is not an intellectual exercise. 
you know, by praying really smart words and putting really eloquent things together, it's not like God is grading you on that. And if you get a 96 on the eloquent scale, then he hears your prayer. And if you get below 95, he doesn't. It's, it's not the way prayer works. And usually this type of prayer looks like talking to God or thinking about God. And we want to define prayer. If we're used to this kind of prayer, if this is our default setting, that's what we say prayer is. Well, prayer is talking to God. Or prayer is thinking about God and the mysteries of God. Well, there's a problem with that. It's exhausting. If this is what you think constant prayer is supposed to look like, how are you going to work? And we're going to tell some stories about that in a second. Extended quote time. Somebody say, yay, extended quote. Yay, yay, All right, I love them too. I'm so glad I have you guys. (laughs) For many of us, prayer means nothing more than speaking with God. And when it seems, increasingly, that I am talking into the dark, it is not so strange that I soon begin to suspect that my dialogue with God is, in fact, a monologue. Sometimes we wonder if we have said the wrong kind of prayers, but mostly we feel taken, cheated, and quickly stop this whole silly thing. If you're used to this prayer only with the mind, and somebody says prayer is talking with God, and you go to God and you have a request, Lord, I don't know if I should get the Honda or the Toyota, and then there's crickets, you would quickly think, this is kind of bogus. I expected an answer. Apparently, I'm just talking to the air, or I'm talking to myself, or God just likes to hear me talk and know that I'm fulfilling my duty, and he has no intention of actually speaking back to me. Taken, cheated, and we quit. And that's what we think prayer is supposed to look like. And if that's what you think prayer is, and this is what you experience, how can we blame you? Prayer's got to be something more than this. But maybe we think we're very spiritual, we're very dedicated. Prayer is pondering God or pondering the mysteries and the wonders of God. Well, a similar problem comes up. Thinking about God and his mysteries requires hard mental work. Somebody say, work. 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 I don't think prayer is always supposed to be work. I kind of thought that when I was a kid growing up in church. I don't believe that anymore. I don't think prayer is supposed to be work, but I digress. Thinking about God and his mysteries requires hard mental work and is quite fatiguing, especially if reflective thinking is not one of our strengths. This is especially true because thinking about God is not a spontaneous event, but thinking about pressing concerns comes quite naturally. And thinking about God as with speaking to God, our frustration tolerance is quite low. You try really hard to think about God, but you're actually thinking about all the stuff you have to do during the day. Congratulations, you are not a failure Christian. You are a human being with stuff to do during the day. So let go of that guilt. We're moving on. Shouldn't we do all that stuff? Shouldn't we actually talk to God? Shouldn't we think about God? Of course we should. The answer is yes. But the problem with what I just said was not that we shouldn't do those things. It's that it was only coming from our brain. That was the problem. We need to talk with God. We need to think about God. But doing it from the mind only is no good. It certainly isn't the prayer of the Desert Fathers, and it will not help you on the inward journey. You know, why would it be no good? We're talking about taking the inward journey, delving into who we are and our identity, fighting the false self. Why would prayers that come only from your mind 
be absolutely zero good in doing anything about that. Because usually, it's with our brains that we construct the false self in the first place. I think. We don't want to go down to the heart where we can see who we really are. We want to keep things up here in veneer land. Real prayer, it's not good enough. There's a missing ingredient. And the missing ingredient is, this next slide is a big sorry, not sorry. Oh my yeah. God. Dang it. I did it. It's the, it's the heart planeteer, and it's a gift. That's right. You're all welcome. I wish I could have found one with audio, but I couldn't. Let's just enjoy the glory of that moment. All right, we're moving on. Heart is the missing ingredient. We do not dismiss the mind. Okay, you can move on now, buddy. You've had your time. I didn't really like you on the show either. It's frozen. Oh, no. Betrayed by media. (laughs) Now I've got too much heart. All right, here we go. The prayer of the heart. We do not dismiss the mind, but prayer has to flow from the heart. Here's another quote. Prayer is standing in God's presence with the mind in the heart. This transformed the way I think about prayer. This is probably one of the number one things I got from the book. This and what silence really is has stayed with me. Prayer is standing in God's presence with your mind in your heart. And the word heart in the Jewish Christian tradition refers to the source of all physical, emotional, intellectual, intellectual, volitional, and moral energies. Why do I think what I think? Why do I do what I do? Who am I really? Where do these desires come from? It is the core of who you are why you want to be who you want to be, why you do what you do. It's the root of everything. Prayer is being willing to go down into that place with your brain to cognitively realize this is who I really am and this is what I'm really about with God. Does that sound a little bit intimidating? Yeah. I think it does. I think it does sound intimidating. Now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. These are words that were prayed from the mind. Okay? They actually used their brain to pray a very long prayer. This is the end. This is all the disciples praying together after Peter and John had been imprisoned and threatened not to talk about Jesus. They get together in a group. They pray a very eloquent prayer, again, utilizing their brains. But after they pray, look what happens. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Usually, we'll read a big, long chunk of scripture, and we stop right there. And we ignore the next sentence, which explains why their prayer was so effective. This is the next sentence. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Heart and mind, crying out to God, not only from a unified person that was willing to go down into the heart with their mind, but all of them together were one of heart in heart and mind. That's powerful prayer. That's powerful community prayer. This is real prayer, and it cannot be faked, and God will smell a fake from a mile away. I mean, people might not. But you can't go to your room and fake a prayer from the heart. Israel tried. 
There are plenty of stories in the Old Testament about Israel was in rebellion because their hearts were far from God, even though they were doing all the right stuff. You can't fake the prayer of the heart. Look at this verse from Isaiah. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God smells a rat. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. You're only doing the right thing because you know it's what you're supposed to do. Your heart isn't in what you're doing. Your heart's not in obeying my laws at all. You're just doing it because that's what you do. And you say all the right things in your prayers, but I see your heart, and it's nowhere to be found. That's still rebellion. God's word to Israel is not nearly good enough. That's not what I want. God wants your prayer and your relationship with him to come from the heart. David had this right. You know, David succeeded big and failed big, but he was a man who lived out of his heart. Listen to what David says that almost counters the very ideas present in this real indictment from the Lord in Isaiah. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. David doesn't just obey because it's what you do. David has chosen to obey because his whole heart is in obeying God and doing things God's way. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David is not interested in just saying the right things because they're the right things to say. He says, let these words and this meditation of my heart, the heart the words are coming out of, has to reflect you. David wants the whole of his person to be directed towards God. And this is the prayer of the desert. This is what prayer is really supposed to be. And it doesn't have to be pretty or eloquent or complicated. I think that's pretty good. It is. I'll give that a 96-ish. This is how we pray always. This is how we do it. We have to turn our hearts fully towards God. Another quote from now on. When we enter with our mind into our heart and there stand in the presence of God, then all our mental preoccupations become prayer. The power of the prayer of the heart is precisely that through it, all that is on our mind becomes prayer. I originally wanted to end my message with this because it just sums it up so beautifully, but I, I want to put it right here and then I want to talk about how we can actually do it. But this is the goal, guys. This is how we pray always. If you can find a way, and, and it's possible, to actually go into your heart with the Lord and actually say, wow, this is who I am. This is what I'm really about. These are the real motivations of my heart. Whew, Lord, you see this just like I do. What do we do about this? And then walk through your day like that? There's nothing that can come in there with you that isn't in the presence of God as well. What do you call that when you're bringing things up to God in His presence? That's prayer, right? Well, suddenly, you going through your day is prayer. That's wonderful. And doesn't that sound like a heck of a lot less work than, you know, meditating for hours? And I, I don't know. Th this sounds good to me. This sounds freeing. This sounds, no, it's like a cool drink of water and not hard work all the time. I think that's exciting. So how do we do it? Now one actually offers three tips that I have changed slightly. The tips are the same. I've changed the wording. He says, when you're venturing into this, keep your prayers short, keep going, and keep it real. Keep it short, keep going, and keep it real. 
Let's talk about what he means by keeping it short. Try to retreat to your desert. Remember we talked about that in week one. Finding a place where you can meet with God. Try to do that at the beginning of your day. You know, so Justin, I mean, if your day starts at 3 p.m., you could, you know, maybe get up early at 2.50 p.m. You know, if you can, give God the the very first part of your day. So, (laughs) I'm sorry, buddy. Choose a short sentence from Scripture to repeat and meditate on. And the one that Nowen gives as an example is, The Lord is my shepherd. And he suggests that you just sit down, you intentionally quiet yourself, you give God that time. He says, try 20 minutes, just 20 minutes, and say, the Lord is my shepherd. And just ask Jesus to help the reality of that go into your heart. He says, look, don't try to think about it. Don't try to think about new applications for what this means. Don't think about what did the Hebrew word for shepherd mean in the ancient world. That is not what this is about. This is about asking God to make you aware of his active shepherding in your life. You're trying to enter into a place where you're going into the reality of this with the Lord. And he says, when you've done that, you create like a little nest in your heart that's invited God in. You can take that with you. This morning, I really meditated on the fact that God is my shepherd. I got there. I felt it. I knew with my spirit what that meant. And then you go to work. And you keep that. And that is supposed to be with you all day. So that no matter what's going on, that's a place you can go back to, that moment. You can feel that again. It's like a little home base in your heart. He says, try it. I actually did try it. And uh, I used actually the verse, be still and know that I'm God. Which, after about five minutes, turned into just be still. And after about another two minutes, I started hearing stuff from the Lord that it was unexpected and good. Hard, actually. Unexpectedly hard, but good. Wasn't looking for anything except inviting God into my heart in that moment. And it worked wonderfully. But keep it short. We're not making this long, on purpose. There's some good time going on back there. I can hear it. (laughs) The scriptures we repeat repeat, may slowly build a little nest for themselves in our heart. I already mentioned that. Thank you, Nellan. That's a good quote, though. We'll skip past it. Keep it going. There's two stories in the book about how to keep it going. How do we pray always? Because it's not enough to do it for 20 minutes. We want to take it with us, right? I won't read the stories in their entirety, but this is a pretty good one. During the period of the Desert Fathers, there was a pietistic sect sect called the Messaleans. These were people who had an overly spiritualized approach to prayer. That's an old thing too, by the way. An overly spiritualized approach to prayer. And considered manual work condemnable for a monk. So these are people that think to pray always, that means prayer meeting 24-7 all the time. We can't do anything else. Nothing else we could do could possibly be as spiritual as prayer. So they go to see one of these desert fathers who actually is working. He's making rope. And they ask him, hey, you know, uh, what's going on? They have a conversation. And he actually asks them, "Uh, tell me, do you guys eat? And they're like, yeah, we eat. He's like, oh, well, who prays for you while you're, while you're chewing? And they didn't have an answer for him. And he says, well, what do you guys do for a living? And they're like, oh, we don't work. We just pray always. He's like, oh, that's interesting. But you don't pray while you eat. Hey, do you sleep? And they're like, yes, we do. He's like, oh, well, gosh, who prays for you while you sleep? And they're like, oh, uh, uh, uh. They give him the Will Smith. Because what had happened was, you know, and they don't have an answer. And then the Desert Father says, 
forgive me. Because he's not trying to be a jerk. He says, forgive me, brothers, but you do not act as you speak. And he says, this is what I do. And he gives him this technique. He says, I meditate to myself. Short little things. And meditate on God's presence while I'm working. And he says, I leave two pieces of money outside my door when I get home. Somebody takes it. I don't know who it is. But their job, if they take that money, is to pray for me while I eat and while I sleep. And so that's one way that they literally prayed always. And there's a second example that's actually from the 1800s in Russia. There's a famous story of a traveling pilgrim in Russia who wants to know how to pray always. And he meets a monk, and the monk tells him, it's real easy. You have to pray more that God will show you how to pray always. (laughs) Sounds kind of funny, but the guy says, come on, I'll try it. Hey, why not? So he teaches him what is called the Jesus Prayer. It basically says, you know, let me actually read it. It's really simple, but it's interesting. It's on the next page. That's why I can't find it. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. That's it. The monk says, just keep praying on And pray that God will show you how to pray always. So he's a pilgrim in Russia. So he's just praying, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And he starts to feel like the prayer is his constant companion. And then one day he realizes realizes he stopped mouthing the words. But he still somehow feels it. And the pilgrim says, it's as if the beating of my heart itself recited the prayer. And that's another way that he's just internalized to this truth. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And in that, managed to go with his mind into his heart and live in a place of constant communion with God. This must be how we pray always. We too this is from now on, should be concerned to pray without ceasing so that whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do at all, we do for the glory of God. Keep it short. Keep it going. Keep it real. If you go to your heart with your mind in the presence of God, you are not going to like everything you see. Fact. I'm assuming for everyone in this room, something's going to pop up. Oh, that, that didn't look like pride before, but now that I'm here with my mind and with you, Lord, that kind of looks like a pride plant. That looks like fear. That looks like anger. Was that lust that just ran by? You're going to see stuff. If you're willing to journey down there and if you take the Lord with you, stuff's going to pop up. This takes courage. We may need to forgive, repent, or battle our false self at any moment. During your day. But the prayer of the heart must mean we have opened our hearts to God. You know, you can say, God has all of my heart. But if you're in prayer with God, I'm not talking about prayer with other people. You know, forget other people. But right now, this is really just about you and the Lord. It's 5 a.m., you've got up, you're in the middle of it, you're feeling the peace, you've repeated the sentence, you're in that place, the nest is built inside you, and God starts cracking open a door in your heart that he's never walked through yet and you run up and say, not today. That's closed right now. Mm. You have not opened your heart to God. He has the keys. We have to let him walk wherever he wants. That's the prayer of the heart. And you're not really down if you're not down to do that. I don't want to be a punk or harsh, but That's just kind of the way it is. 
God owns the house, he can go in whatever room he wants. And we're either willing to let him do it or not. So that's a mini challenge today. Let him go where he wants. Still, he still loves you if you say not today. You know, he still does. But he's going to try tomorrow. <laughs> Just because you give him a rain check. He's coming back for the rain check. So be willing. Another thing. If you go to your heart with your mind in the presence of God, you will become aware of God's heart. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and he talks about the mystery of this in this book, when you go into your heart, you're going to find something very interesting. You're going to see a bunch of stuff you don't necessarily like about you, but you're going to discover you have access to the heart of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. You've been brought into Christ. That's amazing. And you're going to spend some time, hopefully, in wonder at that. And you're going to be captivated by that. And you're going to be awed by that. But you know what? That entails something else. That means that you're, going, you're signing up to feel God's love for and see his point of view on the broken world in which we live. If you take this with you, you're going to see things like you've never seen them before. This means for the Gordons, who we support in Thailand, who work in the red light district, that sometimes life is very hard. Because Samantha, who goes out into the red light district every week, isn't going out there to be callous and say, well, that's their life, they must have had it rough, glad I'm not them. She doesn't have the ability to put up those walls because she has signed up to go into the red light district with the heart of Jesus that is crying out for those people. She signed up for that. That's hard. And the only way we're going to be able to go through life like that is by relying on Jesus' heart to bear that burden. Nouwen hypothesizes that what Jesus meant when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, is that my burden is actually the whole, whole world. All the sufferings and all the pain and all the injustices. But my heart is so big that I can handle that. And if you let me give you your heart, you can handle it too. But accepting the burden is part of the deal. We will experience God's heart for the world. Who's ready for the Inward Journey Challenge Part 3? It's been challenging enough already, I know. That's, I see weeping and gnashing of teeth, but we're going to move on. Inward Journey Challenge. Have you found a desert to experience the solitude of encounter? Have you found a place, a time, a path that you can walk? Where is it? When is it going to be? Have you done that? If you haven't done it, I'm going to challenge you to do that today. Have you been able to take the silence of God's fullness, presence, and love with you throughout your day like we talked about in week two? Have you been able to take the, the tangible presence of the Lord that you can actually feel that internal stillness to Starbucks or the bakery or wherever it is that you happen to go? And if you haven't been able to do that, then I just urge you to try that. Try working on that step. But if you've done both of those things, are you willing to descend with your mind into your heart in the presence of God and stay there. This is praying always. This is the goal. Are you willing? Some days we might be willing. Other days we might have a pretty good feeling what's going on under the surface and we don't feel so willing because not only do we not want God down there, but we don't really want to go down there and see it either. The kids have made a mess we're going to wait for him to clean it up, and then we'll go down. You know, the basement's not really ready right now. I think they've been painting. 
We have to be willing... <laughs> what a weird image. Why did I say that? <laughs> you have to be willing. Trust that God is good. Trust that He loves you. Be willing to go to your mind with the Lord. Go to your heart with your mind with the Lord. This is where the prayer of the heart comes from. This is praying always. And if we can manage to be this type of person that is walking around out there in Kalamazoo in the presence of God, fully aware of God's heart and our heart in any given situation, wow, do you know how dramatic that would be? St. Anthony is the example that's given in the book. He came out of 20 years of solitude in the desert and people were, were said, that guy, he's not normal. He actually looks healthy. I want to ask him about my life. People flocked to him just to talk to him because he was fundamentally different because he lived in this place. This is the goal. That actually is what he means when he says the way of the heart. It is this restful heart that will attract those who are groping to find their way through life. When we have found our rest in God, we can do nothing other than minister. God's rest will be visible wherever we go and, whoever we, and to whoever we meet. Before we speak any words, his spirit praying in us will make his presence known. This is the goal. There are people in this room that this has happened to. Can I get an amen, Sean Clinton? Amen. Look in your eyes and freaked out. Is this true? Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And it's probably happened to other people as well. Carrying that presence. Their world stopped. They recognized something they had not seen before, like another dimension crashing into their life. And their whole evening was changed because of an encounter. Yeah, good. It was good. Do you guys want that? Yeah. That's possible. Actually, Sean, would you be willing to pray for people to have that kind of presence? You're yeah. just visiting tonight, and I'm, I'm asking you to do crazy stuff. Come on up here, bro. <laughs> I would suggest that you get prayer from this man who's awesome. After I close out, but first I'm going to pray. Guys, let's stand up and close out together.